This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with crunch. This episode is brought to you by NARS Cosmetics. Discover iconic NARS blush, now reimagined in an upgraded formula, featuring high-impact, true-color payoff. With cheeky names like orgasm, deep throat, sex appeal, and foreplay, NARS is the ultimate authority in making you blush. 20 new and best-selling shades in matte, satin, and shimmering finishes allow for endless effects, including four orgasm shades to flatter all skin tones. Turn cheeks on with NARS blush. Shop now. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and TV critic Rihanna Dillon. Now, if you don't know, and why don't you know, this is the podcast where we spend lots of time hunting for the best TV shows so you don't have to. Uh, Rihanna's here. Now, it's is it documentary week on the Radio Times it podcast? It does seem to be. We've got a lot of docs to get through today. But some good ones, actually. Actually, really, good really, ones. really thought-provoking. Yeah, what have we got? We've got Will I Am, The Black Print. We've got Who Do You Think You Are with Josh Widdicombe. And I think possibly the one one that I am most excited to talk about is Paul Merson's Football, Gambling and Me. And then if you're an Attenborough fan, stick around as well. Is there anyone on this earth who is not an Attenborough fan? I've got to be a bit careful, though, of course. He's not out and about in the wild himself anymore. He is 95. Yeah, I think this is all done very safely from a voice booth. Yeah, but also I should say, what a voice that guy's got, along with all his many other talents. Absolutely. He is the ultimate voiceover man. Um, So that's all coming up. And there's also a feature film you're going to be talking about, Rihanna. This is a new Denzel Washington film, The Little Things. I never know if it's Denzel, the American way, or do we say Denzel, the UK way? Do you say Paris? Non. Perhaps you should. (laughs) Good answer, though. Um, Okay, so... Denzel Washington's new film and he's also joined by Jared Leto who I think people have very strong opinions about and also Rami Malek who is currently starring in the latest Bond film No Time to Die. He is and there's been a bit of controversy about his facial disfigurement hasn't there and you know when I read about it this is an interesting group actually called Changing Faces Mm -hmm. who who represent people with facial disfigurements and, and facial injuries and scarring and they just don't like this constant association between facial scarring and villainry. It's such a lazy shortcut. I think you it can is. absolutely see where they're coming from. And the thing is, this is we've been talking about this for quite a long time. I remember being asked to go on Radio 4, I think, years ago to talk about this. Yeah, I think we should probably put a stop to that. And I hope they do. Um, I haven't seen the Bond film. I, I, I think we've discussed the length of it before. And I don't think I'm going to go. I took my dad and, um, we, and? Had, we had a great time, actually. 
weirdly, he was more disappointed than I was. I think I went in with very, very low expectations, just given the hype around it. I thought there's no way it can possibly live up to anything like the length of time we've been talking about this film coming out. But actually, I think it was quite a lovely swan song, really, to Daniel Craig's Bond. And you can certainly tell that it's been written in a post-Me Too time, um, which is absolutely for the better. It's not about half-naked women this time and Isn't it's it? so refreshing <laughs> are there any half naked men actually i think he might get his pecs out yeah okay oh, well maybe if i go to the loo before it starts perhaps i could give it two and three quarter hours of my life i went three times in it so oh okay now the documentary theme this is an important uh, documentary that will i am has made um for itv it's called the black print and it's part of itv's programming for black history month which is october in this he explores what it means to be black and british of course he is american but he says britain is his second home here's a quick clip i really want to know what life was like for inner city london kids that were like me i wanted to put a name and a face on the folks that fought for, you know, civil rights in the UK. And I wanted to see, you know, just the similarities between black Americans and black Brits. There'll be much more from Will I Am later in this edition of the Radio Times podcast. Now, you've had quite an interesting week personally, haven't you? Because you've got a big event coming up, as we've alluded to. (laughs) And there was a bit of a bringing together of the two families over the weekend. We had an engagement lunch uh, with my parents and my fiance's parents yeah, so weird to say and um my my brother and um his children and it was really lovely actually it was really nice we had a lovely day and then we went for a little walk along brighton beach and i haven't done that for so long and the sun held out and it was just a really special day actually and speaking of brighton i was in brighton you were on tuesday night <laughs> with my uh, podcast and co-author Fiona Glover and we were it was a great night actually we, we performed it still seems laughable to say that we were interviewed really on stage by the brilliant Pandora Sykes at the Brighton Pavilion What a, um, just a fantastic place to be and um, wasn't your mum there? My mum was in the audience yep, Marks she, out of ten? She loved it she had such a great time she literally battled wind, it was rain, an awful it was an awful night, night. It was. Um, and was very very pleased that she did right. she was very very happy um, and Wendy thanks for coming and uh, thanks for priming Rihanna to say exactly the right thing about that. Right, let's start then at the very top. And at the very top is David Attenborough. Um, He is the voiceover in Attenborough, The Mating Game. You'll probably have seen the first episode, which went out on BBC One uh, Sunday, the 3rd of October at 8 o'clock. But you have part two to look forward to. What what is this about? I mean, I think you probably probably get it from that title. Yes, The Mating Game. Well, it's just about animals doing it. Right. Um, (laughs) Is your degree in zoology... I thought that was quite a good into the clip. It's about animals um, having sex and procreating and it's also about the kind of politics of who might be the the leader in the pack who gets to sleep with all the other ostriches or lions or termites, whatever it is they're focusing on. We'll talk about the termite in a minute because that was my favourite bit. No, it wasn't. It it was. Um, Let's hear uh, a clip from this series. It's The Mating Game. David Attenborough is your voiceover. And um, here are a couple of ostriches about to go at it. I mean, I thought I knew about the display of ostrich, and it's very dramatic. I mean, the male comes along and and opens his wings and then sways his head from side to side and and ruffles them. It's very dramatic stuff. (laughs) I mean, it's slightly... It's slightly comic, it has to say, but it's extraordinarily powerful too. 
He gets really, really infuriated, sort of uh, frustrated by this damned female that's not being impressed. But I think when viewers see it, they will think, yeah, we've seen something of an ostrich we've never seen before. We certainly did. <laughs> certainly how I felt, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, what, you can't criticise programmes like this, it's just idiotic. I did love the ostrich bit, and there's mm-hmm. some fabulous facts scattered throughout this documentary. An ostrich kick can kill a lion. It is amazing. It's amazing to see just how our interpretation of the animal kingdom is actually so warped through, you know, various films, etc. It's really, really nice to see, yeah, ostriches get their day in the sun and see, oh God, there was a bit with a hyena carrying a zebra head. Yeah, there was. That wasn't what I was going to actually draw everybody's attention to. I'd forgotten to. about that bit. That was quite scarring. Well, nature in the raw is grim. It is. It's it's really grim. And, and this documentary doesn't shy away from that. No. And actually, the mating game, the business of mating, is a serious business. Mm-hmm. It is all about survival of the fittest. And you do start to feel a bit sorry for the male of almost every species because they have to put the work in. I never thought I'd hear you say that. I I, I never thought I'd say it. (laughs) I can't believe I just have. (laughs) Well, I I was going to say you can never take woman's hour out of the woman, but maybe it's it's been eradicated. But there are some really interesting um, little bits and bobs about ostriches. Um, Apparently the females like to judge the pinkness of the male ostrich's shins. And if they're good and pink then they're well worth copulating with. Fantastic. Oh, why, I wonder? I, don't, I didn't quite know. Also, when it actually happened, the male ostrich, I think it's fair to say, slumps on top of the female. It was the least graceful thing he'd done in the whole programme. It, the it really was. Act. I mean, he'd done all this beautiful dancing and shaking his feathers yep. and really working hard to get the female attention. And then he just sort of, yeah, flopped on top of her and almost like it looked so painful and uncomfortable. Well, she just carried on eating. Yeah, she did. But in contrast to humanity, it's basically put about that it's women that have to do the work, women and girls, to mm-hmm. attract men. Well, it's not that way in a heck of a lot of the animal kingdom, is it? No, it isn't. You know, we talk about peacocking, don't we? Ooh. We know that as a, as a term. So it's quite interesting to see how, how a kangaroo peacocks, if you like, and... Just seeing a kangaroo draw itself up to its fullest height to show just how big and strong and tall he is. It's such a sort of a basic thing. Do you know what the kangaroos reminded me of? Um, a couple of those brawling herberts on a garage forecourt this week. That's <laughs> yes. that they really did. There were definite echoes of that sort of thing. It's so interesting how the programme sort of anthropomorph... I can never say this word. Anthropomorphises can you just, the animals. This, am I right? This is when humans can only relate to animals when animals behave like humans. Yes. And that's what we're seeing a lot of in these in these. Programs. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there there is a whole documentary series, um, which is, I think, narrated by John Boyega. I think there's also one narrated by Megan. Duchess of Sussex. Name. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's where they really do put actual stories into the animals. They give them names, etc. This doesn't go this far, um, but it does. I think it definitely tries to make us see them in a way that we would if we were out on a Saturday night. Can I just mention my favourite character, the termite queen? Oh, God, I can't believe you liked that bit. It made me feel so incredibly sick. It was like a sci-fi... It is. You know, it's like Alien, but the very worst. Can you bring yourself to describe the bloated form of the female termite queen? It's this sort of pulsating white 
sack um, yep. who who just kind of spews out eggs, I think, every three seconds. She lays eggs every three th- seconds. You're quite right. And she does it for 25 years. And she's kept fed and cleaned by her family, effectively, mm-hmm. but by her... It's kind of an army of fellow termites. Yep. And they just... I suppose they maintain her. It's It's grim. It's not something I expected to see. And... Well, it clearly made you feel a bit sick. It made me feel horrendous. I couldn't watch. It's really interesting to see how all of these horror films that we love are all clearly so inspired by the yeah, natural world. By, by actual stuff that really does go on yeah. on this planet. I have to say, I am not, generally speaking, a huge devourer of wildlife shows, but this is beautifully filmed mm-hmm. the, the photography is exceptional as ever the music is gorgeous the music is gorgeous it's a it's a glorious effort on the part of everybody involved attenborough the mating game then a uh, brilliant as you might expect um where can we see it and when as you say episode one will already be on the iplayer but if you want to watch episode two watch it this sunday the 10th of october 8 p.m on bbc one Yes, definitely something you can watch with all the family, but do be prepared, potentially, for some slightly awkward questions. Ooh, the hook, the hook. Yes, the yes, all right. Thing. No, don't don't go there. Okay. This is a very different documentary, a very different sort of documentary, and I found this genuinely troubling, partly because I feel the person at the centre of it is still visibly suffering. Um, it was it was a tough watch. It's Paul Merson, Football, Gambling and Me, and it's on BBC One, Monday the 11th of October at nine o'clock. Um, this isn't easy viewing, is it? No, it isn't. It's, inc- it's, it's very tough, actually. And it was, it was a subject that I don't really know much about at all, the addiction of gambling. We know so much about alcohol and drug addiction through the media, I think. It's often in films. Gambling is a very different, separate thing. It's not something you can ingest. So just learning about it, you know, one that's one aspect of it. The other, as you say, is just how personal it is to Paul Merson. I don't know. I, you know, I was never a fan of Arsenal in the... Were you not? <laughs> whenever it was that he played. I, I, you know, I don't really know many Arsenal fans. I don't have Arsenal fans in my family, so he's not a name that I no. hear bandied about. So I was coming at this completely had no knowledge of his history, but I know you... Well, I'm a big, big football fan. And uh, Paul Merson's a great great player, played for years for Arsenal and for England. Mm. Um, But he was always one of those players who was very much regarded, I guess, as a, as a, a kind of party animal, which is a slightly superficial way of describing someone who we probably now know to be slightly troubled, mm-hmm. more than slightly troubled. Yeah. And this this programme, I mean, first of all, it makes very clear that this guy is still in financial trouble. Mm-hmm. And he says himself, I earned millions. Yeah, he's renting a house now. That's, you know, he's he had millions and he's lost millions. He has lost millions, yeah. He has a very, very supportive wife um, from whom we didn't hear. no. Which was a real shame, mm. uh, but I, and I was a bit upset. I wrote that down. I was a bit upset that we didn't, but ultimately I think she must have made that decision. She must have decided to step away from being a talking head on camera, which is absolutely fair enough, because it must have been as traumatic for her as for him. Mm. I think as well it's interesting that he they have three young children, I think, and he says at one point that he finds the grind, and it is a grind, mm-hmm. of, of daily life with small children just it's not enough for him Mm. and I think it's often very challenging for all of us but then we haven't had the backstory of 
all the glory, yeah. all the attention mm -hmm. and the massive adrenaline rush mm -hmm. of running out at what was then Highbury in front of a packed crowd who all adore you. And then you get to score a goal. Yeah. So he's it's almost like he doesn't really know why he's addicted to gambling, but he thinks it might be. And the experts he speaks to, they think it might be because he's trying to get back there. He's chasing that dopamine hit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I think they what they do so brilliantly in this documentary is sort of section it up so we get enough of his personal story, mm. which I think is really important. Um, hearing about the link between football generally, the fact that he speaks to other sportsmen about this who are also struggling with the same addiction, I thought was really quite eye-opening. Um, also, they, they delve into the science, which yeah. was so brilliant and so fascinating that he literally has a CAT scan or an MRI um, where they light up parts of his brain which get excited by certain things and where most of us might be sort of really thrilled by seeing incredible food being cooked or seeing pictures of I don't know happy families or whatever else they showed him it was the the casinos the slot machines yeah. the, the gambling images that you saw his brain light up so just seeing that the fact that it's a chemical imbalance I think as a viewer really makes you reassess what this is the fact that your brain is altered when you have an addiction like this. I think you're right to draw attention to that part of the documentary because that was the bit where I was I was watching it at home and I began to feel quite panicky myself. And I honestly I felt for him because mm -hmm. I could see he was getting that tingle that you know I might be able to get fortunately for me from having a couple of glasses of, of something fizzy yeah. and but it, with him it was a whole different level of he was intoxicated by mm -hmm. the potential thrill of is it beating the bookie or I, no, I think you're right I think you were right earlier on I think it's about trying to get back to that stage of his life mm -hmm. where things seemed simpler I would love to say that I thought he was over the hump but mm -hmm. I think even he knows that he might not it's be. He's a way off. Yeah. He's only, he said, you know, we, we know about being sober or whatever. He's n had nine months of not gambling. So that's still very early days, I think, not even a full year yet. I think, too, this documentary makes very clear that there is what many people would regard as a really unhealthy link between the Premier League yes. and the gambling industry and also how vulnerable... Um, many young men, and it is mainly it young is. men. It is. It is very male dominated. They are vulnerable to these to these companies. Do you think that a, a documentary like this will will help to, you know, change laws around gambling? Because that's that's oh. sort of what you want. You come away hoping it would be good to think so. I certainly think the Premier League needs to have a word with itself. Where there's money to be made, you sort of think, will they ever? Well, I, don't, I mean, I think that I've written down here that um, almost half the teams in the Premier League, the clubs in the Premier League, are sponsored mm. by betting companies. Mm. Now, if you're a fan of one of those teams and you've watched this documentary, I, how do you feel about that? I, I would I would not be happy. And I, I'm really glad this programme has been made and I hope Paul Merson's all right and I hope they're looking after him. Absolutely. And also, I think, importantly, it's not just about, you know, the famous people who have had these experiences in the limelight. They also speak to families who've been affected by male suicide, yeah. um, who were just young men who got drawn in. It's a very balanced documentary, I think. It's really well done.
Yeah, uh, it's balanced in the sense that you will be very, very um, annoyed by yes. <laughs> huge aspects of it yes. on behalf of people who are vulnerable to, to gambling addiction. And you don't know, I mean, we could all be one of those people, I guess. So this is a, an excellent documentary with, some, with a, a series of troubling questions at the heart of it. Heartily recommended then, although um, it will leave you with uh, quite a lot of questions. Paul Merson, Football, Gambling and Me, BBC One, Monday the 11th of October at nine o'clock. Now, the radio Times was lucky enough to talk to Will I Am earlier this week, and this is ahead of his documentary, The Black Print. He, of course, was born and raised in Los Angeles, but he came to the UK 20 years ago. He never had the chance, he feels, to explore Black Britain, and he didn't know what it was like to live here as a person of colour. So in this doc, he meets civil rights heroes, leaders in tech, and even the odd celebrity chum to find out about events that have shaped Black Britain. Safraz Mansour asked Will I Am what drew him to making the documentary. I really want to know what life was like for inner city London kids that were like me. I wanted to put a name and a face on the folks that fought for, you know, civil rights in the UK. And I wanted to see, you know, just the similarities between black Americans and black Brits and 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 and, and imagine what my life would have been like if I was a black Brit. And you say at the beginning that, you know, blacks who don't bring up black subjects are good blacks to whites. What did you mean by that? Because it sounded like you were sort of slightly aware that there was almost a bit of a risk for you to sort of be talking about this sort of stuff. Yeah, there is. And this is a touchy subject, you know, to bring up race and transatlantic slave trade and the UK's involvement in that. And you're a bit of a national treasure now, aren't you? So why take the risk? Yeah, there is a risk if you see it as a risk, but I had to bring it up. Uh, it's a risk worth taking just to make people aware in a very respectful way and bring solutions at the same time. Right. So it's not like you're just bringing it up for bringing it up sake. Did you know much about black British history at all before making the doc? I knew about black Brits, but not black British history. I didn't know about the bus boycott. I didn't know that Malcolm X went there to support folks that were fighting for the right to be able to buy and purchase a home. You know, I think you say, I love this country, but damn it, participated in some wickedness. Did that make you rethink your relationship to Britain to know that history? No different than America's participation in wickedness. I can't think of one European nation that hasn't participated in crimes against humanity and uh, indigenous people. And I guess the parallel is that what happened hundreds of years ago carries on having ripples right now. Yes, and that's the reason why technology to me is uh, could be the Calvary for folks that are in poor living conditions. If you look at the best engineers in Google, Facebook, Twitter, Tesla, Amazon, Microsoft, they're from India, the best engineers ever. And their hood is worse than any hood you could possibly imagine. Awesome developers, amazing talent. And... There's people from India that are just as black as me. And what changed their lives, a lot of them is awesome tech, being awesome technicians and engineers and coders, developers, data scientists. I think that could change the Africa's and inner city kids for generations if they aim themselves down that path. Do you feel that the media depicts and still has an aspect of treating blacks differently in terms of non-blacks and does that also have an impact on the narrative that we're talking about? 
I want you to say that same sentence again, but change the word media to white people's opinion. <laughs> if there was like very influential, large reach, black owned media, that we don't have that. Not only, not only like old school media with like printing, even new school media like Twitter, Facebook, Google. Perception is reality. I, I want to focus on solutions. The complaint echo chamber, no one really wants that. Not even kids in the inner city. They don't want that. They want solutions. And so I think that's part of the, the hypnosis is this, this cycle of the same complaint. And the solution really is, is educate. It's always been education, preparation, mentorship, but equal opportunity at its core to the core definition of that. Inclusion is not like, yo, I want to be included in the white company. Inclusion is like, yo, we got a black company. We got a brown company that's just as freaking successful. Diversity, we're diversifying our staff. No, no, we diversifying freaking the whole entire stock market so that you can invest in other, op other options. There's other options, there's a Facebook, and there's a, the other option that came from, you know, Brown Book, from, from, from Latinos from Central and South America. Like, why, where's that? Diversity is not just, you know, a diverse workforce, but a, a diverse platform. There's BBC, there's, a, there's, a, there's NASA, there's a Japanese space program, and there's an African space program. That's diversity, that's inclusion. You grew up in, in, in the projects. What lesson is that for other people, do you think? Surround yourself with people with similar dreams and goals and don't take no for an answer. Dream the biggest dream and manifest that dream. And hopefully that dream uh, inspires folks to do the same. And do you, I mean, there was a, when you met those two brothers who were talking about being stopped by the police five times and all that stuff, did that ring, did that ring bells in your experience? Mm-hmm. Now, now stop by the police is different from like belittled, dehumanized, no matter what. You could tell them like there's nothing in my pocket and they search you as if you just the most wickedest criminal in the world. It's like spiritual rape. Are you talking from personal experience? Yeah, obviously. What will you take away from the experience of making the doc that will stay with you? Oh, meeting all the people that I met, the kids in the school, meeting the first black mayor of Liverpool, yeah. Uh -huh. And that, that means a lot, right? Think about it. You know, here's the Beatles come from Liverpool, obviously super inspired by black music. Beatles, you know, rock and roll, they probably benefited from black music more than the people that created black music. Also helped spread black music around the world to liberate a lot of folks that were in black communities. So you, you, we need the Beatles. And but to see the first black female Lord Mayor of Liverpool, awesome. And the fact that she looks like Beyonce, that's freaking awesome. That is Will I Am talking about his documentary, The Black Print. It's on ITV Thursday, the 14th of October at nine o'clock. He makes a string of important points just in that little clip from the interview with uh, Safraz Mansour, um, particularly the idea of, I mean, I'm from Liverpool, just how much the Beatles owed mm. black music and black musicians. Mm -hmm. I have never thought about that before. But of course, it's true, isn't yeah. it? What about his point about people of colour taking a risk by drawing attention to important things that do need to be addressed. I mean, I think there's always going to be that sort of umbrella of people being classed as troublemakers. And that's a really 
horrible thing to come to terms with but he's speaking from experience you know we might sort of think oh that doesn't exist don't be silly you've got this enormous platform why would it be a risk for you but the fact that he's drawing attention to it means that it has happened previously to many other people um i was really anxious when this documentary started i thought there was going to be some element of it sort of dumbing down especially his sort of introduction to the doc he sort of talks about not really knowing anything the fact that he's American I was like well why get this man to do a documentary about black British people then and their experiences and actually as the document as the doc went on I was I could see exactly why they'd got Will I Am hearing him talk so passionately in that clip there we have this experience of Will I Am describing things as dope right? That's kind of how I picture Will I Am. So that's why I was a little bit anxious. And of course, you realise that's just a persona. He's a really intelligent guy, That is he? just him sort of brushing off all of those stupid questions about singing or whatever. When he's clearly really into something, he puts his all into it. So he speaks to Roy Hackett, who was the man who instigated the British black boycott. There's a, so it's him and his granddaughter speaking about it. And it was, that was quite lovely to mm. see him talking about it from the perspective of the 60s and then his granddaughter talking about the ripple effect that still felt today and how he's a local hero. That was really lovely. And did you get the impression that Will I Am was surprised by what he was finding out? Yes. And I think there is that element where, you know, we might kind of dismiss it as American ignorance and how they might think that they're the centre of the world. But actually, as you say, you know, I think a lot of British people don't know this history. This is the kind of stuff we need to be learning. We know about Rosa Parks's yeah. bus boycott, but we don't know Roy Hackett's name. It's not a household name. And why isn't it? And hopefully, you know, these little nuggets that come through in the documentary will hopefully instigate change for us you know all these years later so there was a little there are a couple of elements of this where I was like okay it's getting a bit too will I am pictures of his childhood and all of the wonderful things that he does when actually this is so much broader <laughs> he is just our way in but actually he's a very good way in because yeah. he appeals he has mass appeal and actually I really kind of respected him a whole lot more having seen the documentary I mean that from you <laughs> Me who hate everyone. <laughs> well, um, is is a real compliment. Uh, yeah. It's Will I Am the Black Print. You'll find it on ITV Thursday, October the fourteenth at nine o'clock. Now, um, who do you, who do you think you are? <laughs> is back. How many series are we? Seventeen. Seventeen. I think. Okay. Um, and it starts. Well, it's got a lineup this season, which includes the phenomenal Judy Dench. We'll talk a little bit more about her a little later in the podcast. And also names like uh, Joe Sugg. They've got Alex Scott, uh, the football presenter, former England player. The series kicks off with the comedian Josh Widdicombe. Here's a clip. Henry, uh, Earl of Holland, from the stool. It looks like from. It's actually oh. groom of the, the stool to His Majesty. Right, so, so your ancestor accompanied the king to the toilet. <laughs> so his job was to take no. the king to the toilet, the stool, the closed stool. Yeah, no. um, that was his job. Yes, that was his job. And that was Josh Widdicombe finding out something hilarious uh, <laughs> about an ancestor of his. OK, I know what I think. What does Rihanna Dillon think <laughs> in general about who do you think you are? 
So it is just celebrities going and meeting historians and finding out about their ancestors. It's, you know, that's it's just about their all their lines that go back as far as they can find. And the I guess the most famous one is Danny Dyer finding out that he was related to royalty. But actually, if we go back far enough, aren't we all related? Well, you've said this to me <laughs> before and my personal dread is that I'm not. <laughs> However, however far back they go, I don't think they'd find anyone. Well, I think that's fine, <laughs> to be quite honest. Actually, not, it shouldn't be the kind of pinnacle of well, life to be related to Henry VIII. I was going to ask about that. It, it's funny, isn't it, that we do seem to regard it as exactly that. The best you can hope for is to be related to some regal figure. I wonder whether that... Is that really 21st century thinking? It's so bizarre, especially when these people were so bloodthirsty and really quite awful and were riddled with all sorts. All sorts. <laughs> I really love the kind of the smaller stories of people who have... I mean, actually, within this Josh Widdicombe one, there is, it kind of picked up a little bit, I think, when he found out some more gruesome details about what happened to some of his other family members. Yes. Uh, at least one was had his head chopped off. Yes, I mean... I mean, it must have been awful for him, but really interesting to hear about years later. Really interesting to hear about, but also, you're right, utterly horrific. And we we need occasionally just to take stock and think perhaps things have improved a little bit in this country um, since all this stuff was quite routinely going on. But do you like Josh Widdicombe? I have to say I am not particularly au fait with his work because I don't watch things like Taskmaster or The Last Leg. Although I know I should watch Taskmaster. Apparently it's amazing. Um, It's just... those sorts of comedy panel shows of lots of comedians just being given a platform to not do a huge amount. Not my cup of tea, but but wildly popular. Yes, and, you know, perhaps I'm really missing out, actually. But I have to say, after watching this, I thought there there was quite a lot of stuff that he could have mined for comedy. And I don't think that all comedians need to be funny all the time, but when you have a platform on BBC One... He could have made a few more jokes, no? Yeah, when you are billed as a comedian, <laughs> I've got to say I'm not all that familiar with what he does, although I appreciate he's very successful. He's just written a book as well, I think, about his relationship with telly. Oh. Uh, oh, well, I'm quite... I've got it to read. It's on my pile by my bed. Um, you should have seen Rihanna's face there, by the way. It's Sorry. Quite, it's quite astonishing. This is a podcast. You're not supposed to talk about my facial expressions. <laughs> Sorry, apologies. Um, you're right. He wasn't especially funny to my ears, to my eyes, on this documentary and I I have got a bit of a I don't know it, it is a long procession of in this case Josh Widdicombe going to beautiful settings mm-hmm. some wonderful Heber old castle houses yeah, yeah great stuff um, and just talking to a succession of handily placed historians <laughs> so. it's yes it's it it's just very white and I know yeah, it, certainly that the whole yep. series seems quite well, Alex Scott is, Alex is a woman of colour is, yep. is a woman of colour but otherwise we have one woman of colour in a, in a programme of how many five or six episodes I know someone who was asked to be on Who Do You Think You Are yeah. and so said, said yes and they squirrelled away and then came back and said I'm sorry mate there's there's just nothing there's right. just nothing That's we can make. Bleak, isn't we it? can make a show out That's of. That's incredibly bleak. So I would, I would quite like to watch one of those. Who do you think you are? Where some hopeful celebrity. I thought this was it, to be honest. <laughs> no, some hopeful celebrity turns up and they're just told, "Well, unfortunately, there are no uh, local historians lined up to talk to you in beautiful settings because we've got absolutely nothing." I guess I'm saying I don't always feel I need to be led through things like this by a celebrity. Yes. 
The other celebrities taking part in this series, I'm just going to read the names and then uh, I'll go to Rihanna for a comment. <laughs> Can you keep quiet, please, while I'm reading the I names? I will, I promise. Ed Balls, Pixie Lott, Joe Lysett, Joe Sugg and Alex Scott. Uh, and we also have Dame Judi Dench. We'll talk about her in a moment. Dame Judi Dench is, is the star booking, it has to be said. What do you make of the lineup? Well, I have to say how actually angry I am. How, barring Alex Scott, who is a woman of colour and actually incredibly inspiring woman, it is so white. And I, I did wonder whether because of... COVID and lockdowns and travel restrictions, that the reason why it is so white is because they weren't able to go further afield outside of Europe to film. However, I think, I don't know, that's me being quite generous with it. I'm really quite disappointed that in this day and age that we have a whole series with only one black person at the centre of it. I have to say, I'm I'm surprised they could find room for both the Joes, <laughs> Sug and Lysett, unless they're They've got astounding family stories. And perhaps they have. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Perhaps. But to have two, also two white male comedians as well with Josh and Joe. And, you know, it's, it's really frustrating. I can't believe after 17 series that they're still treading very tired old stories, to be perfectly honest. We do need to say that Judy Dench uh, will be very watchable in this because she's a star. She's the in only everything. one that I would be, I would actually sit down and watch yeah. this programme for because I, I, she is phenomenal, right? I, I do actually agree with you. I, I have only ever seen her on stage once. It was in um, A Little Night Music. It must be 15, 20 years ago. And she's just astonishing. Mm. She, her, she oozes whatever it is. Mm. It, it's springing from every pore. You cannot, you just can't stop looking at her. And, and I, I think she's incredible. She's on the front of the Radio Times this week and she, it looks like Vogue, you know? It's yeah. be, she it's looks so cover. beautiful. It's really gorgeous. She is... She just seems such a generous, warm person. Well, spoiler alert, I can reveal, because you'll find out more about this in that beautiful uh, cover edition of the Radio Times, the one with Dame Judy on the cover. It's all sort of pink and pastely and gorgeous and she's looking incredible. <laughs> but in the interview with her, you'll discover that she too has a link to royalty because her great aunt, going back some time, it has to be said, was a lady-in-waiting to the Queen of Denmark. Anything for you there? I just really hope that my ancestors had a brilliant time <laughs> and were not in any way related to any royal family, which just sounds like the most dreadful snorefest ever. The views there of Rihanna Dillon. Loads of people love this programme, we should say, and it starts on BBC One on the 12th of October at nine o'clock. Now, um, something different is uh, the little things. Um, how do we see the little things? So you can find this in HD on Amazon for eight ninety nine, or if you want to watch it just in that little bit more, with a little bit more clarity, it's going to be in 4K for double the price on other streaming sites. You've really got to want more clarity, haven't you, for that? <laughs> you really want to see Denzel in all of his glory. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll appeal to some. Uh, so what's this about? So this is about a serial killer and the policeman trying to catch him. Denzel Washington is this grizzled has-been who stayed in a pretty low-level job despite his years of experience. Rami Malik is the sort of young superstar of The Office and Jared Leto also stars as a potential suspect. So here's a clip of Denzel going back to his old stomping ground. Prezzies. Oh, yeah. This is the part where I start feeling like it's a trap. Open it up, I know. It's not a pair of mittens. 
take a look. You know you want to. So the opening of this, I actually found really quite difficult to watch. It came, you know, I watched it in in the wake of the recent murders of Sabina Nessa and the sentencing of the man who killed Sarah Everard. So that was it was a really difficult opening because it is about you know a man stalking women who are I'm, very vulnerable and alone. I'm not in the mood for anything like this right now. And that's not the fault of the film that it's come no. out at you know this really quite difficult time anyway but it does make me think about how thrillers have always been geared towards how vulnerable women are and it would be quite nice to see that mixed up a little bit but I think if you really love films like Seven or um, The Bone Collector also with Denzel actually um, or Along Came a Spider Morgan Freeman then I think this will really appeal to you and if you want to go back and watch all of those you can find them on streaming Netflix and Amazon have got them and I think actually this is more about how police are haunted by their mistakes and unsolved cases than about the serial killer himself so perhaps that is them trying to do a slightly different angle on it and I do enjoy the procedural moments of cop dramas you know the sort of ins and outs of it how it works the third act definitely dragged a little bit I think it could have been shorter snappier it ended up being quite ponderous and meandering which doesn't necessarily work in a thriller well no because I suppose (laughs) the pace is quite important isn't it it is So this is directed by John Lee Hancock. I was quite surprised to hear this because he directed films like The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock, also The Founder starring Michael Keaton as the the founder of McDonald's, um, and also Saving Mr Banks with Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson, which is just a really gorgeous film. I really love that. I cried so much in that film. So he he knows how to really emote I think, in his movies. So to see him do something a little bit harsher was quite interesting. But the performance from Denzel, as ever, is excellent. That is The Little Things. You can get it on HD Amazon. It's $8.99. And it's double the price if you go to 4K and see everything in really brilliant, terrifying, probably, clarity. Uh, The Little Things is the name of that film. So um, there are some radio highlights, actually, um, and they are also featured in the magazine, the Radio Times magazine with Dame Judi Dench in uh, all sort of pinky glory on the cover. And I think you might well be interested in Radio 4's Book of the Week, which is Will She Do?, written by the formidable actress Dame Eileen Atkins. If you like Dame Judy, you'll probably have more than a soft spot for Dame Eileen as well. (laughs) Um, Of course, you can catch up with this on BBC Sounds. I had a run-in once with Dame (gasps) Eileen Atkins. Tell me. Well, I interviewed her on the hour, Woman's Hour, and um, I think I was quite new in the job and I wasn't used to interviewing actresses. And I asked her a question that she took exception to, shall we say. How? What was the question? Well, it was, I sort of, I think I asked her, are you an inverted snob from memory? And um, she, I mean, she's completely entitled to take exception, I should say. I also should say she's a brilliant talent. (laughs) Take it all back, Dame Eileen. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. In this interview in the Radio Times, she does acknowledge that she can be a little prickly. (laughs) I think that's fair. Yes. Um, But I'm definitely going to make a point of listening to that because I bet it's a really good listen and probably a great read as well. It's uh, Will She Do? It's the book of the week on Radio 4. You can hear it at a quarter to ten in the morning, Monday to Friday, or 12.30am, Monday to Friday as well. And of course, you'll find the whole thing on BBC Sounds, which is where I will go to get it, I must admit. 
And Jimmy Carr also makes an appearance in this week's Radio Times. Yes, I think quite oddly, he's written a book. There's nothing odd about writing a book, but he's written a book. When was yours published? Oh, this week. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> uh, no, Jimmy Carr's book is, well, it's about self-help. Now, um, listeners won't be surprised to hear that both you and I have a view on Jimmy Carr. <laughs> I can't really say what I think about Jimmy Carr, I don't think, on this on this podcast, but it's quite nice to see him being quite self-effacing, I think. Just the way he talks about this book, he's very aware of the things that he gets a lot of grief for um, and actually shows a little bit more of a human side. Yeah. Which no. is which is nice. It's so it's nice to see comedians being a little bit more humble when they have been caught out. Well, there is a great line in the interview in the magazine where he points out that he took a phone call about what we'll refer to as his tax problems whilst he was playing tennis on his own tennis court. Yeah. And he says that. So we can't get it in for that because it's a self-deprecating note, which I think you're right. I think a lot of people will welcome. He's really successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really successful. People absolutely love him. And I think he's interesting. Uh, whether I'd buy a self-help book by him, I don't know. But it's out now. It's called Before and Laughter. And you can read more about it in the Radio Times. So now it's time for my favourite bit of the podcast. I get to test you. What We Watched, the segment of the show that takes us down TV nostalgia memory lane. And for people asking, does she know? Is she given the answer? The answer is, no, I'm not. I'm sitting here completely intellectually naked. I've no idea. I mean, you've only got it right once. So if you'd been given them in advance, that would be quite a feat to still get them wrong. It's called acting, darling. Oh, I see. Um, So I've got some clips from a couple of iconic TV shows. But first, I'm going to give you some clues on the year that we're looking at. So the first ever edition of Later with Jules Holland aired on BBC Two. And the artists in this first edition are the Neville Brothers, the Christians and New Colours. And here's a clip of Jules' first ever intro. Thank you very much. Good evening. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first show of these shows, Later with me, the late Jules Holland. For the next ten weeks, we will be having more of what you've just heard. A bit of a groove, ladies and gentlemen. So what, you're asking yourselves, are the elements of this show? Well, there's me, and there is the piano, ladies and gentlemen. There's a studio. Hopefully we'll be having cameras and some lights. But more importantly, we will be having some very carefully chosen performers and artists from every musical sphere. I think the crackle on that clip can give you a clue of how long ago this is. Is it during the war? (laughs) Um, So actually, Later With Jewels is still going and has racked up just shy of 400 episodes. Series 59 has just started on BBC Two, Saturdays at 10pm. It sounds, that introduction was... It was tremendously scripted, wasn't it? It was there was a lot of um, a lot of thought had gone into that. Yes, um, it's it's a it's a proper music lover show, isn't it? Actually, my favourite story about Jules Holland is a friend of mine who worked on it as a researcher on one of his programmes accidentally shut the door on him on his hand. Oh, and he shouted at her and said, "It's not like I need these or anything." <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, in the circumstances, I think we'll, I think let, it's fair enough. we'll let Jules have that it's one. It's very funny. Yeah, OK. Um, uh, do you want another clue? Yeah, go on. French and Saunders had a new series in October of this year featuring the modern mother and daughter sketch, which spawned the amazing sitcom Absolutely Fabulous, also in this year. So when did Ab Fab start? Gosh, was that the 21st century or the late 20th? I'm, I'm really thinking now. Uh... 
I'm at the moment I'm hovering around 19 I'm going to say 1999, possibly. Okay, I'll keep going. Channel 4 airs Ross meets Madonna, in which Jonathan Ross talks to... Is it Madonna? The iconic singer in a special one-off. So this was the year that she had dressed like a 1920s film star in that pinstripe suit and tie and her book set everyone's writing a book her mm. book sex had just come out so do you want to i think i think this is perfect i want to hear a clip of madonna talking yeah, so do i to jonathan ross you worked very successfully with prince you had a, a, a duet with prince and mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk of course at one time of you working with michael jackson mm-hmm. i know you were quite keen on that and people were looking forward to it, it would have been yeah. really something well maybe yeah, it would have been really something. Well, I mean, just, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with chemistry. There's, like, lots of great painters, but I don't know if they got together, they'd make a great painting. You know what I mean? Not the same thing, though, is it? I mean, you yes, can't really share a brush, can you? It's not... Well, well I don't know. I mean, Andy Warhol Picasso got together going. with Keith Haring and made paintings, and they were great. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, that is... OK, you got me there. Um, <laughs> I love Madonna for shooting Jonathan Ross down like that. Madonna to Jonathan Ross... So far, nothing. <laughs> uh, did, I mean, by having said that, though, I'd have been terrified to interview Madonna. I mean, incredibly intimidating. And st- still would be. I just have, yes. I have no idea how I would react if Madonna walked into the room. Uh, I might burst into tears. And Are you a massive Madonna fan? Hide behind you. Um, I think she's got, do you know, she's got some cracking, cracking mm-hmm. songs. Um, what it feels like for a girl is a really, really good song. Okay, this is actually a really difficult one. I've got one final clue for you. So it's worth mentioning that in the spring of this particular year, The Darling Buds of May first launched, starring a young Catherine Zeta-Jones. And I only mention this because The Larkins, which is a new adaptation with Bradley Walsh and Joanna Scanlon set in the 50s, goes out on ITV Sunday the 10th of October at 8pm if you want to catch that and take a trip back down to the year... I'm going to say 1999. Oh, Jane, you're way off. Am I? Why? Yeah, much, much earlier. Really? Yes. 92? 92. 92. Wow, that is a long, long time ago, isn't yes. it? Yes, and so, yet it, it's right. weird that all these things are coming back round again. You know, sequel to The Darling well, Buds of May, Jules is still on. Madonna's never been away. Yeah. <laughs> French and Sword is still going strong. Yes, they're back as well, aren't they? Yeah. Um, well, it, it does show that um, quality... Just keeps on going, (laughs) she says, hopefully. So if this has evoked memories of your own, the things that you were watching back then, what you were doing at that time, I was three. Or any funny stories, then please email the show. It's podcast at radiotimes.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. Gillian Anderson of Sex Education and Much Else fame was a recent guest and Dana uh, tweeted to say, such an emotional gene storyline in sex education. Thanks for the great interview. Um, and this is, oh, this is from Jen. Good interview with Gillian Anderson. Thank you for that. And Rebecca, I think Rebecca seems an incredibly sensible woman. Alistair Petrie, you got to speak to Jane Garvey One. That's the Jane Garvey One. I am so jealous. Uh, Rebecca, actually, you don't need to be jealous because he didn't, in actual fact, speak to me. That was to one of my Radio Times podcast colleagues. Oh, (laughs) colleagues. Colleagues, not minions. Uh, But thank you for that. Um, I bet Alistair's really sad that he didn't get the chance to speak to me. He's never heard of me. Um, but sex education continues to be my not so guilty pleasure. I think that's going to see me through this weekend. Oh, have you not finished it yet? Oh, I smashed through it. 
I'll do my best to get through it so we can indeed discuss it. Um, thank you very much. Um, some interesting programmes this week. I appreciate that they've mostly been documentaries apart from the little things, but, you know, variety is the spice of life and we'll return with different stuff in the Radio Times podcast next week. Thank you very much for listening. It is podcast at radiotimes.com. You can find us too on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. From us both, take care. The Radio Times podcast is produced by something else for immediate media. media.